Hello and welcome back to the Irish Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Abroad website and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic. Mark, it's good to talk to you again. How are you? Hey Joe, not bad now. Hope you're keeping well, like everyone, yep. uh, at least listeners anyway. Yep, good. We'll be looking forward to discussing the draw for the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Uh, Vera Pau's team have been drawn in Group B of the tournament. Uh, we'll face Australia, Nigeria and Canada. And for the first time since 2002, fans of Irish football uh, have a World Cup to look forward to. The draw took place last Saturday morning. Uh, I was up early at 7.30 to watch about 45 minutes of absolutely nothing uh, until we got to, into the, the business end of the draw. And uh, the balls were coming out and the, the groups were slowly forming. When Costa Rica were drawn for Group B, uh, I was a little disappointed because it meant we weren't going to be facing either of the two hosts. But because uh, Canada had already been drawn in Group B, uh, they couldn't face another side from their federation. So Costa Rica got moved down to Group C. And then the very next team out of the third pot was the Republic of Ireland. The group was completed when Nigeria were drawn from pot four, uh, the only African nation to have appeared in every FIFA Women's World Cup. Mark, what was your uh, reaction to the draw? And uh, what do you think of the teams we're going to be facing next year in Australia? Yeah, I, I suppose, Joe, it was an interesting draw. I think quite a few of the draws that were made on that Saturday morning Ireland time were um, pretty intriguing and a pretty tough draw. So Group B is no, no different, really. I mean, we have the 13th-ranked side in Australia, 7th-ranked Canadian team, which I feel is a bit misleading. I think they're far better than that. And then we picked the highest-ranked pot four, uh, see, which is Nigeria, who have been a perennial power in terms of world football, same with Canada and Australia. So, I mean, we're under no illusions here, Joe, but I suppose, as we said in this podcast a few weeks ago, Republican Ireland ladies team, they really have to embrace the occasion here. A huge game on July 20th in Sydney against Australia, the co-hosts. I'd say that'll be absolutely a sellout. And if we could get a result there, uh, Joe, it could bode very well for the rest of the tournament. So, yeah, I think overall it's a tough draw. But I think um, for one or two decides in this pool, I think we have grounds for optimism. I know when we previewed the, the draw, we said we would happy with either of the two hosts, New Zealand and Australia. I did have a slight preference for New Zealand. I'm not disappointed we got Australia. That first game in the group, the the 20th of July uh, in Sydney Football Stadium, I think it's going to be a great occasion. The opening day of the tournament, facing one of the two hosts, Sydney Football Stadium holds 42,000 people and I think there's a chance that we could be looking at a, you know, an Italy in giant stadium type situation with the amount of Irish that live in Australia and especially in Sydney. You know that fans of the national team are going to be doing everything they can to get tickets to that game. We faced Australia quite recently, beat them 3-2 in a friendly in Tallis Stadium. Not really sure how relevant that's going to be, but it's a, a psychological boost. When we're lining out against Australia, we have beaten them. We can beat them. They had some of their best players lined up in, in Tallis Stadium that night. I remember watching Sam Kerr walking off the pitch 
and she was really not happy with the way the game had gone. She had a, a late booking in it as well, which probably didn't help her mood any, in any way. And if we get a positive result, then we're going to be set up well for the, the next two games. Yeah, I think so too. I think from an Australia perspective, they came off the back of the Olympics in Japan, where they performed pretty admirably, I would say, Joe. Denied the bronze medal by the United States. But again, there were some marquee uh, performances along the way, uh, particularly that quarterfinal win against Great Britain, where Sam Kerr was the best player on the park by a country mile. They won that one 4-3. They had a credible nil-all draw with the USA in the group stage when their backs were a little bit to the wall. So I think they've shown their calibre there. I think the Dublin match, there was a little bit of experimentation from Tony Gustafsson, certainly in the first half. But again, any Australian side, they're there to win. And I think the reaction of Sam Kerr probably summed it up nicely. It was very tit-for-tat. Uh, we had a few early goals here. Lucy Quinn, Denise O'Sullivan, Mary Fowler, I think might be a key person here for Australia. You know, very talented striker uh, from Manchester City. Joey, you kind of mentioned to me off air that uh, there may have been an approach by the Republic of Ireland once upon a time. Uh, think more about Mary Fowler, but I think she her brace kind of showed their potency, even though first half they weren't really in it. Second half was far more closer. Louise Quinn had a great header just after half time, but it was very topsy-turvy. Australia really were probably disappointed not to go away with the result, but it kind of built confidence for us heading into our World Cup qualification campaign. So I think all in all, maybe not much relevance, but I mean, maybe a little bit of a, from our perspective, at least we can kind of hang our hat on it a little bit to say that we're well capable of uh, getting a result against a top calibre team like Australia. Yeah, Mary Fowler was approached by uh, Ireland at only 15, so clearly she'd been identified as a, a talent for the future. You know, Her brother, Quivine Fowler, played underage for Ireland. Uh, he was in the Netherlands for a little while. He was on the books of Vitesse Arnhem, uh, but I don't think he ever played for the first team. Mainly turned out for their, their second team and also played for Dordrecht and Excelsior. But look, there's going to be no love lost when she lines up for Australia against Ireland in Sydney. She'll be representing Australia and they're not going to want to have uh, anything approaching a negative result in the first game of the tournament being held uh, in their country. It's going to be tough, but the team are going to be well prepared. The results in Tala Stadium will give them a boost and who knows what kind of a part the crowd are going to play in that game. The second game... Uh, is going to be against Canada. But what I'm a little more concerned about is the impact that the travel between the two cities is going to have on the team. They face a a flight of more than 3,000 kilometres from Sydney to Perth before lining up against Canada uh, on the 26th of July. So six days later, so, you know, there's two sides to the argument. One is, you know, it is a long flight. It is a long journey. It is going to have an impact on the players. On the other hand, Canada are going to be flying themselves from Melbourne. So it's also going to have an impact on them. Uh, And they have one day less to recover. Their opening game against Nigeria is the day after we face Australia uh, on the 21st of July. Six days is is a reasonable amount of time to recover, assuming that the team leave as soon as possible uh, after facing Australia. Canada were in the the second pot, you know, in the draw, but realistically they are a, a first pot team. They're ranked seventh in the world, and if it was been a single host for the tournament, they would have been in pot one. They're the current uh, women's Olympic champions. They have a 
a very strong record in international football, as well as being the current Olympic champions. They were bronze medalists in 2012 and 2016, and have won the CONCACAF Women's Championship twice in 1998 and 2010. Uh, Mark, I know you've been doing a lot of research on our three opponents, so what did you think of the Canadian squad? Yeah, I think overall, Joe, this is Australia might be considered top seed, but as you correctly pointed out, this is your top seed. This is the game where, if we get anything out of this, Joe, I think we'll be doing very well. This Canadian team are stacked in every unit. They do not concede goals, Joe. Maximum they've conceded in the last 12 months has been one goal. And if you think about it, Canada are there with the United States. The two of these teams are just amazingly competitive against each other. They are raising the standards in terms of women's football. They've been a traditional powerhouse here in Canada. The grassroots structures of Canadian football is really identifying an awful lot of young girls very early on, and they're going through the youth academies. And again, the squad setup is quite intriguing here, Joe. You know, you do have certain players that are applying their trade in Europe and also in the United States, but also in the Canadian, um, particularly in Montreal, particularly in Quebec, Vancouver, various other spots. So there is that balance there between professional and part-time. So I think from that perspective, they're a very top-quality team managed by a top-quality coach in Bev Priestman, who basically has had experience of being an assistant coach under Phil Neville and has had vast experience of coaching the underage uh, groups in Canada, under 17 and under 20. I mean... Look at the record, uh, the CONCACAF Championship in Mexico, for instance, they got to the final and it was a very topsy-turvy final in Mexico against the United States. Alex Morgan's penalty in the second half secured a 1-0 win to the USA, but there was absolutely nothing in it. In 2021, Olympic gold medal uh, champions beating Sweden, they beat USA in the semi-final, which was an absolute sweet victory for everyone involved with Canadian football. So... Joe, let's be under no illusions here. The squad are vastly experienced. There's a nice blend of youth and experience coming in here. Likes of Leon here as well, particularly Janine Bicky. There is an awful lot of good talent here. They're going to, they're, they're a very solid side. And I would not be surprised here, Joe, if this Canadian side go all the way to a World Cup final. I generally do. I think they're one of the, they're one of the standout teams in this tournament. Looking down through their recent results, you know, they've only lost two games in the last two years. Uh, Mexico beat them 2-1, and as you say, the United States beat them in the final of the CONCACAF Women's Championship. They don't concede. Mexico are the only team to score against them more than once in the last two years. You'd have to go all the way back to the United States in February 2020 to find the last time they conceded three goals. There's quality all throughout the team, but as well as that, there's a lot of experience in their current squad, they have four players with more than 100 caps. Sophie Schmidt, who's a legend in the women's game with more than 200 caps. There's goals throughout the team as well. Adriana Leon, who we'd be familiar with from Manchester United's team, and Jesse Fleming playing for Chelsea at the moment. And I think you're right. I think this is the game the game where we're least likely to get a result. Perth Stadium holds 20,000. I don't know if the crowd are going to be as big a factor in it as uh, I think it will be in in Sydney. And I think as well as that, there's a lot of players in the Canadian squad with not just international experience, but international experience at this level of the game, playing in the finals of the Olympics, playing in the CONCACAF women's final. Um, And right now we don't have that in our squad. We do have players playing at a high level, playing at Champions League level, 
playing in the Women's Super League. But this is going to be a very different experience for them. And I don't really like comparing men's and women's football, but we did see that in Poland in 2012, that, you know, when you're missing that experience at that level, it can cost you. I certainly agree, Joe. I think squad rotation is going to be key here for Vera Powell. We can't expect the same group of players to be lining out three games in a row. It's a very aggressive schedule. I'd even counter with Northern Ireland and the European Championships just gone. They tried to really kind of replicate that, keep as consistent as possible. But as you can see, fatigue and stuff will happen pretty quickly here, and particularly with the travel aspect. So I think for Vera Powell, particularly in the middle of the park, she's going to have to identify key games here where she basically lines out, stacks her team to the best of ability. I think this Canadian game, you could almost write off here. You know, a good performance, probably don't get beat too well. It might be the objective here, and then kind of moving on, because I think Canada, the beauty of Canada is they have already played Nigeria, and they've already played Australian friendly games in the last few months. Nigeria and Canada, two friendly fixtures. One was a 2-0 win, but significantly Bev Priestman, immediately after the draw, really cited Nigeria as being a real dark horse here in this group, citing their physicality and their organisation. They drew two all in the second ga- game of that, that series. And also last month, Canada travelled to Australia essentially to look at their bases and really experience the whole World Cup experience and the bases, the facilities. They beat Australia 1-0 and 2-1, respectively, in Sydney and Brisbane. So that'll give you a gauge here, Joe, in terms of, you, I think you're spot on, the experience at this level to really experience and embrace the occasion. You can either work one of two ways here to Republic of Ireland women's team. You can embrace the moment and really go with it or take the occasion gets overwhelming for them. But definitely from Vera Powell's perspective, she's going to have to run the rule over quite a few players in the squad. Squad players can't be making up numbers here. We need a good, good squad coming over that's going to provide quality minutes for the team on the pitch. I thought it was interesting that Vera Powell said she's already started to receive emails from players who are Irish qualified. And I think her response was uh, was absolutely correct. If you don't already have a passport, then not interested. You know, history has shown us that when teams qualify for tournaments, there can be the squad bolters or someone who might have made their debut less than 12 months before the tournament starts, but still gets you know a squad position. I think the squad itself probably won't be announced until around May of next year. And I, I think she's going to stay loyal to the players that got her to uh, to Australia. Finally, after another 3,600-kilometre flight, uh, Ireland will play their final game uh, against Nigeria in Brisbane's Lang Park. The biggest of the three stadiums are going to be playing in, capacity of over 50,000. I think similar to Canada and Nigeria have a false ranking in FIFA's current rankings ranked 45th in the world they were in the fourth pot of teams for the draw and i think the team that we did want to to avoid from that fourth pot uh they're the only african country to have qualified for every fifa women's tournament their best showing was the quarterfinals in 99 but they reached the round of 16 in the last tournament in 2019 and you know when you're talking about the great teams of African women's football, you're definitely talking about Nigeria. They've been champions of the African Women Cup of Nations 11 times in 91, 95, 98, 2000, 2002, 2004, 2006, 2010, 2014, 2016, and 2018. 
as well as finishing third in 2008. Vera Powell has said that the reason they're ranked so low is that they don't play a lot of competitive games against higher-ranked teams from around the world. Uh, but this, again, this is a, a team to be reckoned with, Mark. And uh, it's a game where I possibly think we will need to get a result if we want to uh, be playing in the second round of the tournament. Absolutely. Hopefully it's still in the melting pot by then, uh, Joe. And I think the same for Nigeria as well. Um, they'll have a key opening fixture against Canada. Obviously, Australia in the second game and this third game, they're probably penciling in as well to see if they can uh, get a, a good result against. I suppose there's a fascinating kind of uh, story here, backstory. The, the manager is Randy Waldrum. He spent most of his career as a collegiate coach, really. Did an awful lot of uh, good work, particularly in Baylor University, set up the women's program. Probably notoriety, securing Notre Dame with two national championships in 2004 and 2010. Now, significantly here, Wandy Waldrum in 2017 was offered this head coaching job of Nigeria, but turned it down. So, went to the likes of Trinidad Tobago. But again, Nigeria did come calling again, and Waldrum has been coached since uh, October 2020. Now, the results, boys, I think you're spot on. It's because that they, they have played a few more high profile opposition, particularly in the last 12 months. Now they have had the African nations, uh, competition in Morocco. They got all the way to the semi-final stage where they were beaten on penalties by Morocco, the host nation. Uh, again, very, very competitive side, very aggressive pace, power, physicality, and I think those were the attributes that really surprised Bev Priestman, the Canadian head coach, who was since last April's uh, friendly series. Um, I think there's going to be a few uh, players here that will really do catch the eye. The squad varies from the US. There's an awful lot of US-based players and also Spanish uh, players. Uh, two players in particular, Onu Monu, uh, is based in New Jersey, New York with Gotham FC has scored an awful lot of goals this year. But also you'll see a midfielder called Aji Baje, who um, will be very distinctive. She's blue hair. Uh, she plays with Atletico Madrid and has scored an awful lot of goals, particularly in that African Cup of Nations. Also, the legendary striker um, from Barcelona, excuse me, anyone from Nigeria, is Aziat Ozoala, is the probably most recognisable player in African football. Really, the the plaudits have been inspiring about her. She plays for Barcelona. Powerful, physical, you know, very good, airily, underground. So I think Ireland will have their work cut out, particularly in the final third. I think you're going to see an awful lot of good attacking play off Nigeria. But defensively, if they let one goal in, they suddenly let two goals in. There's been a few instances in the last 12 months here, Joe, where Nigeria defensively have kind of completely melted under the pressure. So hopefully that is the case when Republic of Ireland face. But again, by no means an easy fixture here from Republic of Ireland. Um, I think it'll be the power and physicality, which will be probably the most um, interesting here in this Super Falcon side, who I think will pose problems. I think Australia, as that top seed, they look a vulnerable top seed, if I'm being brutally honest, Joe. Um, I would fancy Nigeria really all day long to probably get a result against Australia. So I think it's imperative for Republic of Ireland to get something out of that opening game as well, because that game three is going to be a key one for the Super Falcons. They may be eyeing us up for three points. So, you know, I think that'll be delicately well poised. If you look at Nigeria's recent results, they're actually currently on a, a run of five losses. But if you drill down into it, two of those losses came against the United States, 
there's no shame in losing to their women's team and also to Japan, you know, a powerhouse in women's international football. Before that, they lost a tight African Women's Cup game against Zambia, 1-0. And before that, were beaten by Morocco on penalties after a one-all draw. Another factor that might come into the, the game itself is that uh, Nigeria's two ga- last two games against Australia and against Ireland are both in Brisbane, in Lang Park. So they don't have to deal with the travel sickness or the jet lag or whatever else is going to be affecting the team going into that final game on the 31st of July. The build-up has, has already started. Uh, Vera Powell was pictured in Sydney Football Stadium after the draw took place, uh, You know, saying the next time she's in the stadium, she'll be bringing the team with her. Preparations are no doubt already in motion to, you know, to pick the, to do the team have a, a centralized base that they work from for the three games, or do they try and have a different base in each, each city? It's a lot of questions for the team, and it's going to be a new experience for all of them. Yeah, it's certainly yeah. uncharted territory, isn't it, Joe? I think it's great to embrace it, but given the travel, given the logistics you've just literally outlined here. And as well as that, you see the likes of Canada. Canada have already picked their base. So you have various top elite teams have already picked the best of the best facilities. So what's the Republic of Ireland situation going to be like here? Um, so I think it's going to be intriguing. Maybe a base in Melbourne, Sydney, not quite sure. That Perth fixture, particularly from Sydney to Brisbane, will be a dog of a trip. From Sydney to Brisbane, probably a few hours on the plane. But maybe Sydney becomes a base potentially but again it's really down to the Republic of Ireland Vera Powell what suits but I think all that aside I think it'll be a key just for Vera Powell and Reed to really identify the the squad players the players that will be coming in to do a job particularly in a few of these games I think she knows hand on heart who her best 11 is but I think definitely there needs to be reinforcements and squad depth in multiple positions here so I think that'll be the key challenge It'll be interesting because I think that announcement will be made sooner rather than later, Joe. Yeah, I think my preference will probably be somewhere like Sydney. Base yourself there, particularly on the third game, like Brisbane to how many thousand miles was that again? Three thousand uh, six hundred kilometers. Yeah, exactly. So how do you play that in terms of? Uh, but yeah, Brisbane to Sydney not as bad as Sydney to uh, Perth particularly. So, but again, they're going to probably have experts, travel experts now hired by the FAI to provide steep patterns, what's the best way of recovery, stuff like that. It's it's not just Ireland here. It'll be multiple teams here to get this information, inside information. So, look, intriguing times. Just to hammer home how far the distance is, the actual distance from Dublin to Moscow is 2,700 kilometres. That's still less than the first flight that the team are going to take from Sydney to Perth and almost a thousand kilometers short of the flight they're going to be taking from Perth to Brisbane. That's just how big Australia is. I think it's, sometimes it's easy for us in this side of the world to forget just how large the country is. Sydney to Brisbane, an hour and 25, hour and 30 minutes on a flight, which probably is not bad, but it's that part of the trip. Mm-hmm. Do you actually make a conscious decision with certain squad members going to Perth ahead of time? knowing that they may get game outs against Canada, I think that might have to be the approach here. It might be all well and good being in the opening day, but for the long-term success of the squad, maybe certain squad members who may be featuring against Canada um, are already in part uh, waiting for the team. So that second game, even though it's against Canada, we don't want to get beat, you know, 
there can't be a heavy mauling here heading into game round three. So I think uh, there's an awful lot for Vera Powell and the management team and the FBI to really kind of think about. Uh, now, since she's been over there, I think uh, there's probably been representations in terms of bases and stuff like that. So look, all to, all to, all to be revealed. There's already been talk of a uh, training camp in November and friendlies to be organised next year. Do you have any preferences for who you'd like to see the team face? I mean, it's tricky, um, to be perfectly fair, Joe. I think you're probably, given Vera Powell's association, close association with Netherlands, I assume that Netherlands will probably be one of the teams that hopefully there'll be a friendly game there. I suppose mightn't be the worst idea if we get Spain or Italy in a friendly as well, because we'll probably see a little bit of good technical football that we have to counteract. And maybe Sweden. I know we'll probably hate facing Sweden, but again, we've met them in the World Cup qualification campaign. I think the physicality, they closely mirror an awful lot what Canada are about, and also Nigeria for that matter. So I think uh, those three, preferably. Just looking at the FIFA women's rankings here, Nigeria are the highest ranked of the African sides, and you know at 45, just behind them on 54 and 58 are South Africa and Cameroon, respectively. I think either of those would be uh, an interesting choice. If you want to face uh, an African team just to have that experience, I think either of those would be uh, an excellent choice. And, you know, if they do have uh, a large selection of players based in Europe, that adds uh, to the attractiveness of it. In terms of playing against Canada, maybe looking at one of the higher ranked sides in Europe. I think Norway, 12th in the world, Italy are are 14th. I think either of those would be excellent preparation for facing uh, seventh ranked Canadians. You know, we did mention in the last episode that you know maybe if there's a, an international window in March, that, that those games should be in Tala. But the last game, the send-off game, needs to be held in Aviva Stadium to give the players the send-off that they deserve. Yeah, I completely agree, Joe. I think that needs to be a sellout. Really kind of support the, the girls, Vera, backroom staff as they go to Australia. Certainly agree. And maybe a high-profile fixture. Even if it's like a Norway, Norway as well would be a quality team. I know they're um, joined or pooled with uh, New Zealand in Group A, so mightn't be might be the worst idea there as well. But again, it's going to be Vera Powell and the FAI really kind of trying to agree these friendlies. But as you've seen here, as we've discussed in this podcast episode, you've noticed that Nigeria, Australia, and Canada. They're playing high elite opposition here in the last 12, 18 months. We've been in a World Cup qualification where it has been competitive. We've played Sweden, we've played Finland, we've played Slovakia, but we've also played the likes of Georgia that really haven't really done anything. So it's the level of competition is going to be ramped up here once we get to uh, the World Cup. So Vera Powell knows full well that high-caliber friendly games are the only way that this team is going to prepare. And if they prepare in the right way and not get overwhelmed by the occasion, try to take things... Day by day, I think, you know, good things may happen for this group because they're such a united um, group of players and backroom staff. So anything is possible here. So if they just embrace it, put no pressure on themselves, I think good things may happen. Yeah, and if you look at the teams that we did play before Australia, you know, we were on a a seven-game losing streak, but that included friendlies against Denmark and Belgium and uh, Iceland twice before ending the streak by beating Australia. You know, they're good teams. You improve by playing against good teams and we did play against good teams and we raised our levels and we were able to beat Australia at home and it set us up really well for the, the qualifying tournament itself where you know we only lost one game against 
one of the best teams in the world in Sweden and still managed to take a point off them in Sweden during qualifying. So higher ranked opposition, at least one game at Tala Stadium, two if possible. And then, as we keep saying, the final game, the send-off game at Aviva Stadium against a good team to give Vera Powell and the rest of the squad uh, the send-off that they've, they've earned over the last two years. Exactly. You know, if you want to even go African nation on it, maybe Morocco or just to, to mix it up, just in terms of the brand of football. But it's certainly, I think, a high-ranked team. Plus the fact that it's got to be so close to the World Cup anyway. Both teams will be playing kind of shadow squads. But I think it'll be a great send-off, great celebratory mood in the stadium. And uh, yeah, I fully support that uh, suggestion, Joe. I think you should go to the FAI with that. Um, well, I'm sure they're listening. So um, let's push that up, push that forward. Do you want to talk about the other groups? Yeah, let's, let's probably do that, yeah, because there's a few uh, toasty groups here. Yeah. I know we talked about Group B, and, you know, we're very kind of interested in Republic Farm, but there's been, God, that, <laughs> that Group E, uh, Joe, I'll tell you, that is going to be a lethal group. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's... when you consider the playoff B winner is going to be potentially Portugal. Now, Cameroon are facing... Um, are in a playoff, they'll be facing Portugal. Maybe Cameroon or another side here that may be a friendly potential, as you alluded to. That is a stinker of a draw, uh, Joe, to be perfectly honest, on Group E. I mean, there's going to be a quality side there going home, um, particularly. You have USA, you have Netherlands, you have potentially Portugal or Cameroon, and poor Vietnam in the middle of it. So you may go down to goal difference uh, there, to be honest, uh, to see who advances, so. I think the big nations will probably get through to the last 16. I think Germany probably should have a relatively easy run in the group. The Canadian head coach, Bev Priestman, I think she alluded to Nigeria, but alluded very quickly that someone has to top that group in Group B. Otherwise, they're in with the, the big elite teams in the last 16. So I think from a Canada perspective, that's they're going to be their approach. So, yeah, I don't know what groups stood out for you, Joe. I think Group D as well. You know, you mentioned there in Group E, you've got... One of the potential winners could be going home between the United States, Netherlands, and probably Portugal. But uh, Group E is, looks really tough to me. You've got uh, current European champions, England. You've got a uh, very strong Denmark side and China, who are you know ranked 15th in the world, plus another one of the playoff winners. You know, I've seen a few uh, reports saying that Group B, Ireland's group, is the group of death. But um, I don't think it's as bad as the two we've mentioned there, Group. Group D and Group E. I would also put four Group G here, Joe. Uh, Sweden, South Africa, Italy and Argentina. If you asked me 12 months ago about South Africa, I would have probably written them off. But the fact of the African Nations Cup, if we're rating Nigeria pretty highly and the Canadian head coach is rating them highly, South Africa beat Nigeria in the opening game of their group 2-1. So on their day, South Africa can pull up the upset. They also have Italy and Argentina in that group. So conceivably one of the big powerhouse nations again. I know Italy are building up a nice programme, same with Argentina. One of them is going to be going on an early flight home. So it's very intriguingly poised. I mean, you have France and Brazil, particularly in Group F, along with Jamaica. The Group C winners, unfortunately, I think might be, uh, that might be kind of maybe a step too far for either Chinese Taipei, Paraguay, Papua New Guinea and Panama. But again, I think there's an awful lot of intriguing subplots here. Joe, and an awful lot of these groups, but I think that Group E is just going to be phenomenal, just in terms of whoever comes out, maybe. I'm, I'm speculating here, it's either Cameroon or Portugal, but I, 
if you've listened to this podcast, I've seriously rated Portugal since the summer. Uh, I think, you know, it mightn't be a bad idea for Portugal going down to New Zealand. They have one match here to qualify for the World Cup. And really, they'll be based in Dunedin uh, quite a bit. So I think from that perspective, uh, you know, Portugal could be a bit of a dark horse here and upset the apple cart. I have to agree with you, Mark. I think even the, the opening game, the United States against Vietnam, obviously there's a lot of history there. You know, my mind goes back to when the United States played Iran in the op- their opening game in the 1998 World Cup in France. And, you know, Iran won that game. Vietnam have absolutely nothing to lose. It'll be their first game in any World Cup, men, men's or women's. And I hope they just go out and uh, show the United States how they can play the game. Absolutely. I'm also looking at Group A here as well, Joe. New Zealand being the, the co-host, being in that top seat pool. But look at the Sharks that are in here as well. Norway, we talk about Sweden, we talk about England, we talk about Germany. Norway have been a perennial powerhouse here along with Canada in women's football. You've Switzerland who have been very impressive in the European campaign in World Cup. And also you have the Philippines as well. So I hate to say this, but like the two co-hosts look vulnerable here in either Group A and Group B. I don't see both of them qualifying here. I think New Zealand are very vulnerable here to Norway and Switzerland, um, particularly in that Group A. But I think that'll be a very competitive group as well. So I don't think, uh, like from Republic of Ireland's standpoint, I think the draw, it's very intriguing. Canada are, I think, to stand out. But I think for the other three teams, they have every chance of getting into the last 16, which is what you want in the World Cup. Uh, it's going to be an intriguing tournament. One thing we can safely say is at this level, well, there are no easy games in international football, and there's definitely no easy games in the, in the World Cup. Before we finish up, oh, I just want to give a mention to the men's under-17 team. They finished second in their qualification group for the 2023 European under-17 championship uh, behind hosts Norway, beat Armenia in their opener, 4-0, drew Belarus in their second game to all, and just this afternoon uh, got a one-all draw with Norway, um, after come from behind, uh, which also had a, a penalty save. I think it's actually a, a pretty good result. For that. I think the, the Belarus game is probably the most disappointing result of the three, after losing their opening game 4-0 against Norway. I think the team were expected to get a better result than the two-all draw against Belarus. But uh, coming from behind against Norway to draw one all with them, they were the only team that actually scored against the hosts uh, in the, the round-robin tournament. And uh, we can look forward to the elite round next year. And to the women's under-17 team, they're facing Northern Ireland on Thursday the 27th, uh, tomorrow as we record this episode, after losing their opener uh, to Austria in the 2023 UEFA Women's Under-17 Championship. They bounced back to beat Finland uh, 3-2. Uh, Finland's second was actually a late penalty, so the result is a little better better than it sounds. And we'll be going on to face Northern Ireland in their final game tomorrow. You should probably have heard the result uh, by the time you listen to this, but having lost their opener against Finland 2-0 and their second game against Austria 3-0, I'm expecting the girls in green to beat Northern Ireland and will be playing in... League A of the second round of qualifiers for the tournament uh, that's going to be held in Estonia next summer. I want to thank Mark for discussing the draw for the women's team next summer. I think we're all looking forward to putting up a wall chart and buying the official team song. Uh, if you have any thoughts on who should sing it, you can contact me on Twitter at Irish underscore abroad uh, or you can contact Mark at Hawkeye Psychic.
We'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Bye-bye.